0: The Pickwick Papers, chapter thirty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Brad Philipone. The Pickwick Papers, by Charles Dickens. Chapter thirty. How the Pickwickians made and cultivated the acquaintance of a couple of nice young men belonging to one of the liberal professions. How they disported themselves on the ice. And how their visit came to a conclusion. Well, Sam said, Mister Pickwick, as that favoured servitor entered his bedchamber with his warm water on the morning of Christmas Day, still frosty. Water in the wash-hand basins a mask of ice, sir," responded Sam. "Severe weather," Sam observed. Mister Pickwick. Fine time for them is as is well wrapped up, as the polar bear said to himself when he was practising his skatin', replied Mister Weller. "I shall be down in a quarter of an hour," Sam said. Mister Pickwick, untying his nightcap. Very good, sir,' replied Sam. "'There's a couple of sawbones downstairs.' "'A couple of what?' exclaimed Mr. Pickwick, sitting up in bed. "'A couple of sawbones,' said Sam. "'What's a sawbones?' inquired Mr. Pickwick, not certain whether it was a live animal or something to eat. "'What? Don't you know what a sawbones is, sir?' inquired Mr. Weller. "'I thought everybody known as a sawbones was a surgeon.' "'Oh, a surgeon, eh?' said Mr. Pickwick, with a smile. "'Just that, sir,' replied Sam. "'These here ones, as is below, though, ain't regular thoroughbred sawbrones, They're only in training.' "'In other words, they're medical students, I suppose,' said Mr. Pickwick. Sam Weller nodded assent. "'I am glad of it,' said Mr. Pickwick, casting his nightcap energetically on the counterpane. "'They are fine fellows, very fine fellows, with judgments matured by observation and reflection, and tastes refined by reading and study. I am very glad of it.' "'There are smokin' cigars by the kitchen fire,' said Sam. "'Ah!' observed Mr. Pickwick, rubbing his hands. "'Overflowing with kindly feelings and animal spirits, just what I like to see. "'And one on em,' said Sam, not noticing his master's interruption, "'one on em's got his legs on the table, and is a-drinkin' brandy neat. "'Vile the other one, him in the barnacles, has got a barrel o' oysters atween his knees, "'which he's a-opening like steam, "'and as fast as he eats them he takes aim "'with the shells at young Dropsy "'who's sitting down fast asleep in the chimney corner.' Eccentricities of genius, Sam,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'You may retire.' "'Sam did retire accordingly. "'Mr. Pickwick, at the expiration of the quarter of an hour, "'went down to breakfast. "'Here he is at last,' said old Mr. Wardle. "'Pickwick, this is Miss Allen's brother, "'Mr. Benjamin Allen.' ben we call him and so may you if you like this gentleman is his very particular friend mr mr bob sawyer interposed mr benjamin allen whereupon mr bob sawyer and mr benjamin allen laughed in concert mr pickwick bowed to bob sawyer and bob sawyer bowed to mr pickwick bob and his very particular friend then applied themselves most assiduously to the eatables before them and mr pickwick had an opportunity of glancing at them both mr benjamin allen was a coarse stout thick-set young man with black hair cut rather short and a white face cut rather long he was embellished with spectacles and wore a white neckerchief below his single-breasted black surtout which was buttoned up to his chin appeared the usual number of pepper and salt coloured legs terminating in a pair of imperfectly polished boots although his coat was short in the sleeves it disclosed no vestige of a linen wristband and although there was quite enough of his face to admit of the encroachment of a shirt-collar it was not graced by the smallest approach to that appendage he presented altogether rather a mildewy appearance and emitted a fragrant odour of full-flavoured cubas mr bob sawyer who was habited in a coarse blue coat which without being either a great-coat or a surtout partook of the nature and qualities of both had about him that sort of slovenly smartness and a swaggering gait which is peculiar to young gentlemen who smoke in the streets by day shout and scream in the same by night call waiters by their christian names and do various other acts and deeds of an equally facetious description he wore a pair of plaid trousers and a large rough double-breasted waistcoat out of doors, he carried a thick stick with a big top. He eschewed gloves, and looked upon the whole something like a dissipated Robinson Crusoe. Such were the two worthies to whom Mr. Pickwick was introduced, as he took his seat at the breakfast-table on Christmas morning. "'Splendid morning, gentlemen,' said Mr. Pickwick. Mr. Bob Sawyer slightly nodded his assent to the proposition, and asked Mr. Benjamin Allen for the mustard.' "'Have you come far this morning, gentlemen?' inquired Mr. Pickwick. "'Blue Lion at Muggleton,' briefly responded Mr. Allen. "'You should have joined us last night,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'So we should,' replied Bob Sawyer. "'But the brandy was too good to leave in a hurry, wasn't it, Ben?' "'Certainly,' said Mr. Benjamin Allen. "'And the cigars were not bad, or the pork-chops, either, were they, Bob?' "'Decidedly not,' said Bob the particular friends resumed their attack upon the breakfast more freely than before as if the recollection of last night's supper had imparted a new relish to the meal peg away bob said mr allen to his companion encouragingly so i do replied bob sawyer and so to do him justice he did nothing like dissecting to give one an appetite said mr bob sawyer looking round the table mr pickwick slightly shuddered by-the-bye bob said mr allen "'Have you finished that leg yet?' "'Nearly,' replied Sawyer, helping himself to half a fowl as he spoke. "'It's a very muscular one for a child's, is it?' inquired Mr. Allen, carelessly. "'Very,' said Bob Sawyer, with his mouth full. "'I've put my name down for an arm at our place,' said Mr. Allen. "'We're clubbing for a subject, and the list is nearly full. "'Only we can't get hold of any fellow that wants a head.' "'I wish you'd take it.' "'No,' replied Bob Sawyer. "'Can't afford expensive luxuries.' "'Nonsense,' said Alan. "'Can't indeed,' rejoined Bob Sawyer. "'I wouldn't mind a brain, but I couldn't stand a whole head.' "'Hush! Hush, gentlemen! Pray,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'I hear the ladies.' As Mr. Pickwick spoke, the ladies, gallantly escorted by Mr. Snodgrass, Winkle, and Tupman, returned from an early walk. "'Why, Ben!' said Arabella, in a tone which expressed more surprise than pleasure at the sight of her brother. "'Come to take you home to-morrow,' replied Benjamin. Mr. Winkle turned pale. "'Don't you see Bob Sawyer, Arabella?' inquired Mr. Benjamin Allen somewhat reproachfully. Arabella gracefully held out her hand in acknowledgment of Bob Sawyer's presence. A thrill of hatred struck to Mr. Winkle's heart as Bob Sawyer inflicted on the proffered hand— a perceptible squeeze ben dear said arabella blushing have have you been introduced to mr winkle i have not been but i shall be very happy to be arabella replied her brother gravely here mr allen bowed grimly to mr winkle and mr winkle and mr bob sawyer glanced mutual distrust out of the corners of their eyes the arrival of the two new visitors and the consequent check upon mr winkle and the young lady with the fur round her boots would in all probability have proved a very unpleasant interruption to the hilarity of the party, had not the cheerfulness of Mr. Pickwick and the good humour of the host been exerted to the very utmost for the common weal. Mr. Winkle gradually insinuated himself into the good graces of Mr. Benjamin Allen, and even joined in a friendly conversation with Mr. Bob Sawyer, who, enlivened with the brandy and the breakfast and the talking, gradually ripened into a state of extreme facetiousness, and related with much glee an agreeable anecdote about the removal of a tumour on some gentleman's head which he illustrated by means of an oyster-knife and a half-quartern loaf to the great edification of the assembled company then the whole train went to church where mr benjamin allen fell fast asleep while mr bob sawyer abstracted his thoughts from worldly matters by the ingenious process of carving his name on the seat of the pew, in corpulent letters of four inches long. "'Now,' said Wardle, after a substantial lunch, with the agreeable items of strong beer and cheery brandy, had been done ample justice to, "'What say you to an hour on the ice? We shall have plenty of time. Capital,' said Mr. Benjamin Allen. "'Prime!' ejaculated Mr. Bob Sawyer." "'You skate, of course, Winkle,' said Wardle. Uh, "'Yes, yes, oh, yes,' replied Mr. Winkle. "'I, I am rather out of practice.' "'Oh, do skate, Mr. Winkle,' said Arabella. "'I like to see it so much.' "'Oh, it is so graceful,' said another young lady. A third young lady said it was elegant, and a fourth expressed her opinion that it was swan-like. "'I should be very happy, I am sure,' said Mr. Winkle, reddening. "'But I have no skates.' this objection was at once overruled trundle had a couple of pair and the fat boy announced that there were half a dozen more downstairs whereat mr winkle expressed exquisite delight and looked exquisitely uncomfortable old wardle led the way to a pretty large sheet of ice and the fat boy and Mr. Weller, having shoveled and swept away the snow which had fallen on it during the night, Mr. Bob Sawyer adjusted his skates with a dexterity which to Mr. Winkle was perfectly marvellous, and described circles with his left leg, and cut figures of eight, and inscribed upon the ice without one stopping for breath a great many other pleasant and astonishing devices, to the excessive satisfaction of Mr. Pickwick, Mr. Tupman, and the ladies, which reached a pitch of positive enthusiasm when old wardle and benjamin allen assisted by the aforesaid bob sawyer performed some mystic evolutions which they called a reel all this time mr winkle with his face and hands blue with the cold had been forcing a gimlet into the sole of his feet and putting his skates on with the points behind and getting the straps into a very complicated and entangled state with the assistance of mr snodgrass who knew rather less about skates than a hindoo at length however with the assistance of mr weller the unfortunate skates were firmly screwed and buckled on and mr winkle was raised to his feet now then sir said sam in an encouraging tone off with you and show em how to do it stop sam stop said mr winkle trembling violently and clutching hold of sam's arms with the grasp of a drowning man how slippery it is sam not an uncommon thing upon ice sir replied mr weller hold up sir this last observation of mr weller's bore reference to a demonstration mr winkle made at the instant of a frantic desire to throw his feet in the air and dash the back of his head on the ice "'These—these these are very awkward skates, aren't they, Sam?' inquired Mr. Winkle, staggering. Oh, "'I'm afeard there's an awkward gentleman in em, sir,' replied Sam. "'Now, Winkle,' cried Mr. Pickwick, quite unconscious that there was anything the matter, "'come, the ladies are all anxiety.' "'Yes, yes,' replied Mr. Winkle, with a ghastly smile. "'I'm coming.' "'Just a-going to begin,' said Sam, endeavouring to disengage himself. "'Now, sir, start off.' "'Stop an instant, Sam!' gasped Mr. Winkle, clinging most affectionately to Mr. Weller. "'I find I've got a couple of coats at home that I don't want, Sam. You may have them, Sam.' "'Thank ye, sir,' replied Mr. Weller. "'Never mind touching your hat, Sam,' said Mr. Winkle hastily. "'You needn't take your hand away to do that. I meant to have given you five shillings this morning for a Christmas box, Sam. I'll give it to you this afternoon, Sam.' "'You're very good, sir,' replied Mr. Weller. "'Just hold me at first, Sam, will you?' said Mr. Winkle. "'There, there, that's right. I shall soon get in the way of it, Sam. "'Not too fast, Sam, not too fast!' Mr. Winkle, stooping forward with his body half doubled up, was being assisted over the ice by Mr. Weller, in a very singular and unswan-like manner, when Mr. Pickwick most innocently shouted from the opposite bank, "'Sam, sir, here, I want you!' "'Let go, sir,' said Sam don't you hear the governor calling let go sir with a violent effort mr weller disengaged himself from the grasp of the agonized pickwickian and in so doing administered a considerable impetus to the unhappy mr winkle with an accuracy which no degree of dexterity or practice could have ensured that unfortunate gentleman bore swiftly down into the centre of the reel at the very moment when mr bob sawyer was performing a flourish of unparalleled beauty mr winkle struck wildly against him and with a loud crash they both fell heavily down mr pickwick ran to the spot bob sawyer had risen to his feet but mr winkle was far too wise to do anything of the kind in skates he was seated on the ice, making spasmodic efforts to smile but anguish was depicted on every liniment of his countenance are you hurt inquired mr benjamin allen with great anxiety not much said mr winkle rubbing his back very hard i wish you'd let me bleed you said mr benjamin with great eagerness oh, no thank you replied mr winkle hurriedly i really think you had better said allen uh, thank you replied mr winkle i'd rather not what do you think mr pickwick inquired bob sawyer mr pickwick was excited and indignant he beckoned to mr weller and said in a stern voice take his skates off no but really i had scarcely begun remonstrated mr winkle "'Take his skates off,' repeated Mr. Pickwick, firmly. The command was not to be resisted. Mr. Winkle allowed Sam to obey it in silence. "'Lift him up,' said Mr. Pickwick. Sam assisted him to rise. Mr. Pickwick retired a few paces apart from the bystanders, and, beckoning his friend to approach, fixed a searching look upon him, and uttered in a low but distinct and emphatic tone these remarkable words. "'You're a humbug, sir.' "'A what?' said Mr. Winkle, starting. "'A humbug, sir. I will speak plainer, if you wish it. An impostor, sir.' With those words, Mr. Pickwick turned slowly on his heel, and rejoined his friends. While Mr. Pickwick was delivering himself of the sentiment just recorded, Mr. Weller and the fat boy, having by their joint endeavours cut out a slide, were exercising themselves thereupon in a very masterly and brilliant manner.' sam weller in particular was displaying the beautiful feat of fancy sliding which is currently denominated knocking at the cobbler's door and which is achieved by skimming over the ice on one foot and occasionally giving a postman's knock upon it with the other it was a good long slide and there was something in the motion which mr pickwick who was very cold with standing still could not help envying it looks a nice warm exercise that doesn't it he inquired of wardle when that gentleman was thoroughly out of breath by reason of the indefatigable manner in which he had converted his legs into a pair of compasses, and drawn complicated problems on the ice. "'Ah, it does indeed,' replied Wardle. "'Do you slide?' "'I used to do so on the gutters when I was a boy,' replied Mr. Pickwick. "'Try it now,' said Wardle. "'Oh, do please, Mr. Pickwick,' cried all the ladies. "'I should be very happy to afford you any amusement,' replied Mr. Pickwick. "'But I haven't done such a thing these thirty years.' pooh-pooh nonsense said wardle dragging off his skates with the impetuosity which characterised all his proceedings here i'll keep you company come along and away went the good-tempered old fellow down the slide with a rapidity which came very close upon mr willer and beat the fat boy all to nothing mr pickwick paused considered pulled off his gloves and put them in his hat took two or three short runs balked himself as often and at last took another run and went slowly and gravely down the slide with his feet about a yard and a quarter apart amidst the gratified shouts of all the spectators keep the pot a sir said sam and down went wardle again and then mr pickwick and then sam and then mr winkle and then mr bob sawyer and then the fat boy and then mr snodgrass follow closely upon each other's heels and running after each other with as much eagerness as if their future prospects in life depended on their expedition it was the most intensely interesting thing to observe the manner in which mr pickwick performed his share in the ceremony to watch the torture of anxiety with which he viewed the person behind gaining upon him at the imminent hazard of tripping him up to see him gradually expend the painful force he had put on at first and turn slowly round on the slide with his face towards the point from which he had started to contemplate the playful smile which mantled on his face when he had accomplished the distance and the eagerness with which he turned round when he had done so, and ran after his predecessor, his black gaiters tripping pleasantly through the snow, and his eyes beaming cheerfulness and gladness through his spectacles. And when he was knocked down, which happened upon the average every third round, it was the most invigorating sight that can possibly be imagined to behold him gather up his hat, gloves, and handkerchief with a glowing countenance, and resume his station in the rank with an ardour and enthusiasm that none could abate. The sport was at its height. The sliding was at the quickest. The laughter was at the loudest, when a sharp, smart crack was heard. There was a quick rush towards the bank, a wild scream from the ladies, and a shout from Mr. Tupman. A large mass of ice disappeared. The water bubbled up over it. Mr. Pickwick's hat, gloves, and handkerchief were floating on the surface, and this was all of Mr. Pickwick that anybody could see.' dismay and anguish were depicted on every countenance the males turned pale and the females fainted mr snodgrass and mr winkle grasped each other by the hand and gazed at the spot where their leader had gone down with frenzied eagerness while mr tupman by way of rendering the promptest assistance and at the same time conveying to any persons who might be within hearing the clearest possible notion of the catastrophe ran off across the country at his utmost speed screaming fire with all his might it was at this moment when old wardle and sam weller were approaching the hole with cautious steps and mr benjamin allen was holding a hurried consultation with mr bob sawyer on the advisability of bleeding the company generally as an improving little bit of professional practice it was at this moment that a face head and shoulders emerged from beneath the water and disclose the features and spectacles of mr pickwick keep yourself up for an instant for only one instant bawled mr snodgrass yes do let me implore you for my sake roared mr winkle deeply affected the adjuration was rather unnecessary the probability being that if mr pickwick had declined to keep himself up for anybody's sake it would have occurred to him that he might as well do so for his own "'Do you feel the bottom there, old fellow?' said Wardle. "'Yes, certainly,' replied Mr. Pickwick, wringing the water from his head and face and gasping for breath. "'I fell upon my back. I couldn't get on my feet at first. The clay upon so much of Mr. Pickwick's coat as was yet visible bore testimony to the accuracy of this statement, and as the fears of the spectators were still further relieved by the fat boy suddenly recollecting that the water was nowhere more than five feet deep, prodigies of valour were performed to get him out after a vast quantity of splashing and cracking and struggling mr pickwick was at length fairly extricated from his unpleasant position and once more stood on dry land oh he'll catch his death of cold said emily dear old thing said arabella let me wrap this shawl round you mr pickwick ah that's the best thing you can do said wardle and when you've got it on "'Run home as fast as your legs can carry you, and jump into bed directly.' A dozen shawls were offered on the instant. Three or four of the thickest having been selected, Mr. Pickwick was wrapped up and started off under the guidance of Mr. Weller, presenting the singular phenomenon of an elderly gentleman dripping wet and without a hat, with his arms bound down to his sides, skimming over the ground, without any clearly defined purpose, at the rate of six good English miles an hour. But Mr. Pickwick cared not for appearances in such an extreme case, and, urged on by Sam Weller, he kept at the very top of his speed until he reached the door of Manor Farm, where Mr. Tupman had arrived some five minutes before, and had frightened the old lady into palpitations of the heart by impressing her with the unalterable conviction that the kitchen chimney was on fire— a calamity which always presented itself in glowing colours to the old lady's mind when anybody about her evinced the smallest agitation. Mr. Pickwick paused not an instant until he was snug in bed. Sam Weller lighted a blazing fire in the room, and took up his dinner. A bowl of punch was carried up afterwards, and a grand carouse held in honour of his safety. Old Wardle would not hear of his rising, so they made the bed a chair, and Mr. Pickwick presided a second and third bowl were ordered in, and when Mr. Pickwick awoke next morning, there was not a symptom of rheumatism about him, which proves, as Mr. Bob Sawyer very justly observed, that there is nothing like hot punch in such cases, and that if ever hot punch did fail to act as a preventative, it was merely because the patient fell into the vulgar error of not taking enough of it. The jovial party broke up next morning. Breakings up are capital things in our school days, but in after-life they are painful enough. Death, self-interest, and fortune's changes are every day breaking up many a happy group, and scattering them far and wide, and the boys and girls never come back again. We do not mean to say that it was exactly the case in this particular instance.' all we wish to inform the reader is that the different members of the party dispersed to their several homes that mr pickwick and his friends once more took their seats on the top of the muggleton coach and that arabella allen repaired to her place of destination wherever it might have been we dare say mr winkle knew but we confess we don't under the care and guardianship of her brother benjamin and his most intimate and particular friend mr bob sawyer before they separated however that gentleman and mr benjamin allen drew mr pickwick aside with an air of some mystery and mr bob sawyer thrusting his forefinger between two of mr pickwick's ribs and thereby displaying his native drollery and his knowledge of the anatomy of the human frame at once and the same time inquired i say old boy where do you hang out mr pickwick replied that he was at present suspended at the georgian vulture i wish you'd come to see me said bob Sawyer nothing would give me greater pleasure replied mr pickwick there's my lodgings said mr bob sawyer producing a card lance street borough it's near guy's and handy for me you know little distance after you pass st george's church turns out to the high street on the right-hand side of the way i shall find it said mr pickwick come on thursday fortnight and bring the other chaps with you said mr bob sawyer i'm going to have a few medical fellows that night mr pickwick expressed the pleasure it would afford him to meet the medical fellows and after mr bob sawyer had informed him that he meant to be very cosy and that his friend ben was to be one of the party they shook hands and separated we feel that in this place we lay ourselves open to the inquiry whether mr winkle was whispering during this brief conversation to arabella Allen, and if so what he said and furthermore whether Mr. Snodgrass was conversing apart with Emily Wardle, and if so, what he said. To this we reply, that whatever they might have said to the ladies, they said nothing at all to Mr. Pickwick or Mr. Tupman for eight-and-twenty miles, and that they sighed very often, refused ale and brandy, and looked gloomy. If our observant lady readers can deduce any satisfactory inferences from these facts, we beg them by all means to do so. End of chapter 30